Tonight's scripture reading will be found in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 28. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 28 says, Because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. I want to say again this evening that it's good to have some who are visiting with us. We can see that several of our own maybe have taken off or other places this afternoon, as Brother Tim mentioned. It is that time of year, and many of our loved ones have taken themselves elsewhere for the holiday. I know of several who have left this afternoon, and we want to continue to remember them in prayer and the travels that they have. Again, I want to make mention of the Coldwater family here tonight with Julie and I. Uh, they are special friends of ours, but we've not been very special friends for very long, uh, just a couple of years or so. But uh, the Coldwaters do a great mission work overseas. Uh, Gage is engaged in uh, helping to train preachers uh, elsewhere. They've spent months over in Africa and, and really just lots of places around the world. And he is involved with the MANA Project. In fact, he has started and directs the MANA Project, if you've heard of that. And if you have any questions about it, or if you want to visit with Gage and Kelly, I know they'd love to visit with you more about it this evening, uh, if you have any questions uh, regarding any of that work. If, if you're looking for something to support uh, individually or in a special way, uh, I recommend it highly, and they would love to visit with you more about it. We're glad to see them and glad they're with us tonight. We want to continue our study together in Ezekiel chapter 18. We left off this morning at the end of verse number 20. And uh, I want to pick up there in verse number 21 as we get into our study tonight. But I want to remind us, again, that ultimately we're asking, is God fair? Is his, are His ways fair? Uh, he has been charged with being unfair by His own people. Again, I remind you that in Ezekiel's time, when he's writing this particular statement in this particular chapter, we find that God's people have been carried over into Babylonian captivity. Ezekiel is there in Babylon... However, the city of Jerusalem has not yet been destroyed. It's not going to be destroyed for about seven years after he concludes writing the first 24 chapters of the book of Ezekiel. And so you have God's people who have been carried over into captivity, and they're still not convinced that God is really going to destroy the temple, that Jerusalem is really going to fall. Uh, they're still questioning whether or not those prophecies are really true or not. And so they are here really upset with God. They're really upset at their own captivity. And at the end of the day, they're questioning whether or not God is really fair. They said, God, we feel like we're being punished, not for our own iniquity, but for what our fathers have done. And we don't think that's right. Now, they weren't taking ownership of their own actions. They were wanting to pass the blame on to someone else. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? We don't want to take any blame for ourselves. We would rather take our uh, misfortune and put the blame on somebody else because it can't be my fault, right? It's always somebody else's fault. Well, that's what we find going on here, but ultimately what they're doing is they're blaming God. They're saying it's God's fault that they find themselves in this particular condition. Now, remember this morning, we looked uh, in particular at verse number four, and we looked here at very two, two very key words that I think we can bring out of verse number four, where God says, I just want to remind you that all souls ultimately belong to me. The soul of the Father is mine, the soul of the Son is mine, and that is an all-inclusive statement where God says, at the end of the day, everybody belongs to me. 
everyone is made in my image. The soul that is in you belongs to me. That gives you value, by the way. That's your value. You're looking for your worth? There it is. You have a soul within you that God gave you. There's your value. All souls are mine. God desires to have a relationship with you. But then you see at the end of that verse, the soul that sins shall die. And so there is responsibility. At the end of the day, we need to be looking to have a relationship with God. And God desires nothing more than to have a right relationship with each one of us. But he says there carries with that weight the weight of responsibility. And he says, if you choose to go against me, I've given you the choice, but if you choose to go against me and you choose to live a life in sin, well, we're not going to have that relationship. And so it is the responsibility that comes with the desire that God has to have that relationship. And we, we, we then went through the rest of those verses, and we looked at three ways that God illustrates this, relationship and responsibility. He says, let me define for you the way that I would define righteousness, the way that we'd want to look at a man who is just. And he says, this man is one who does not go up onto a mountain, and he does not sit at the feet of idols. This is somebody who is going to worship God, and he's not going to worship idols. He is going to put God first in his life, and he's not going to put anything in the way of that relationship. As you continue down through those verses, those 16 traits that are listed there, this is a man who is caring. He is a man who is compassionate. He is a man who is looking out for the needs of those around him. And at the end, God says, this person is just, and he's going to live. This person is not going to die. That is one who is in a right relationship with me. And so we find God defining for us what just looks like, what righteousness looks like. And God says, I'm fair. If someone will choose to have a relationship with me, he shall live. He's not going to die. But if that righteous man has a wicked son, I, I'm not going to save that wicked son just because his father is righteous. Okay? I'm not going to do that. That would be unfair. And so just because he might have a righteous father, if he chooses to be wicked, I am not going to save him. However, if then that wicked man has a son, and that wicked man, you see there in verse number 14, if he considers the way of his father, and he decides, I'm not going to be wicked, I'm not going to be sinful, I'm not going to go against God, and he determines within himself to be righteous, God says, we'll have a relationship with him, and I will declare him just, and he shall not die. I don't care that his father was wicked. I'm not going to hold his father's wickedness against him. If he chooses to be righteous, then he shall be declared righteous, and he shall live. And so we see all of this, and it concludes that thought down in verse number 20, where God repeats himself, The soul who sins shall die. The son is not going to bear the guilt of the father, nor is the father going to bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And so if one will choose to be righteous, God says, I will save him. We'll be in a relationship with each other. But if you choose to be wicked, God says, I'm fair. And the only fair thing to do is to not save the wicked. Tonight I want to continue in verse number 21, and I want you to notice the first word of verse number 21. And that word is but. Do you see it? In your copy of God's Word, you see the first, ver first word of verse number 21, and the word is but is a strong point of emphasis, one that we need to understand. It's as if God was anticipating. Where are they going to take what I've just said? How far are they going to take this? He said, I've just told them that I desire to be in a relationship, that all souls belong to me, 
And those who choose to be righteous, I will say, they're going to live. But those who choose to go against me, those who choose to be wicked, he says, I'm fair. I'm not going to save them. I wonder how far they're going to take this. And so God anticipates how far they're going to take this. And so tonight we pick up there with his words in verse number 21. And it's as if they were the one who say, okay, God, so what are you saying? Are you saying that one who is wicked at one point in his life, you're just going to declare him wicked and he's always going to be wicked and he's going to be lost? Or what about one who is righteous? It's just because he is righteous at one point in his life, does that mean that you're just always going to look to that person as righteous and they're always going to be righteous and you're going to save them? He says, nah, let's make sure we get this straight. I want to make sure we get this straight. There is such a thing as the ability to change your mind. And that's where we pick up. In verse number 21, but, the strong point of emphasis, but if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure? Catch this, please. God says, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked shall die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? You're accusing me of not being fair. You're accusing me of being unfair. And God says, I want to set the record straight. I want you to understand exactly where I'm coming from. I want you to know that if one who is wicked changes from his wicked ways, he changes his mind, he turns himself around, he says, if he will do that, none of the previous transgressions will I hold against him. I will declare him as one who is righteous, and I want to tell you that he is going to live. It would not be fair of God to say, I don't care if you were wicked at one time in your life and you choose to be righteous. If you, if you make that choice, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just always going to look to you as wicked. And you're, there's no way you can be saved. How unfair would that be? All right? Now, as you think about those in the Bible, and I'm not going to belabor this long, but you can make your list, right? You can make your list of those that you know at one time were wicked, who did change their mind, and they became righteous. The mind has the ability to be changed. And so we see with the, the one who calls himself the chief of sinners. He was at one time the chief of sinners, right? He was wicked. He was going against God. He, he didn't desire to have a right relationship with God. He didn't, desire to be right, or he didn't desire to be right with the Lord, with Jesus. And he was going against God because of it. But he changed his mind, didn't he? Paul changed his mind. And he was then looked at by God as one who is righteous. And Paul makes the point, if God can save the chief of sinners, if the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to save the chief of sinners, if I can change my mind, then anybody can change their mind. And that's what we see happening here. And what the point that God really, ultimately, is bringing out. God is a God who is fair. God says in verse number 23, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? And the answer is absolutely not. My desire is for the wicked to turn from his ways and live. It is God's desire, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. How did Peter put it in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9? 
The Lord is not slack concerning his slack, not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. What are we talking about? Changing the mind. It is God's desire that all would change their mind. It is God's desire that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. It is God's desire that none would be lost, but that all would make the decision to be saved. But God says, I'll leave that choice to you. I want you to know that I made your soul, that I desire to have a relationship with you, but I'm leaving that ball in your court. What a wonderful characteristic we find here of God. He is all over these pages, and his attitude toward the lost is here, but his attitude toward the saved is found here. Ultimately, his attitude toward all men is found right here in this great chapter, and this is what we find God thinking. Listen to me. Once lost, always lost, is a false doctrine. We don't often hear it worded exactly like that. But there are some who have it in their mind. In fact, there are some of the Lord's people who say there's simply no hope for that guy. There's simply no hope for her. There's simply no way that she's ever going to be saved. God says a wicked man here can change his ways. And once lost does not mean always lost. Everybody has the ability to change their mind. And it is not up to you and I to determine within ourselves who's going to do that and who is not. Our responsibility is to share God in the relationship He desires to have with everyone. That's the responsibility God has given to us. Now, he goes on in this great chapter. Look at verse number 24. But, strong point of emphasis, but when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live, God asks. All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed because of them, he shall die. Once lost, always lost is a false doctrine. Guess what? Once saved, always saved, equally false. Just because you're righteous at one point in your life does not mean that God is always going to look at you as righteous if you decide to change your mind and go the other direction. Is it possible to change your mind and go the other direction? Yes. The righteous are not just locked in, you see. We all have the ability to change our mind. It's called free will. God, in a loving way, has given us that ability within ourselves. And he says, I'm not going to randomly pick and choose those who are going to be saved and those who are going to be lost. I'm going to let you decide whether you are saved or whether you are lost. I'm going to let you decide whether you're going to be righteous and remain righteous or whether you're going to be wicked and remain wicked. And if you start out being wicked, he says, I'm going to give you the ability to change your mind and be righteous. And if you decide to be righteous and all of a sudden change your mind and decide to go against me, God says, I'm giving you the ability to do that. What we need to be reminded of is we have that ability. We have that mind within us that God has given us to change our mind. We can decide to go the other direction. But we have to understand who God is and what he has given us. Now, you can make your list of those who made this decision, right? And those who went the opposite direction. You can think, for example, with me, and this is not wanting to go, but you think about Demas, right? 
This is a very basic, very simple illustration way of making this point. But at one time, Paul had this man that he called a fellow worker, one who was working with him, one who was traveling around with him, one who was sharing the gospel with people who are lost. His name is Demas. And then, you see, later on, it is Demas who is going to forsake Paul, and he's going to go the other way. Second Peter 4 and verse 10, He loved the present world. He left me. Demas changed his mind, it would appear, and he went the other way. I know it's simple, but we need to be reminded that we have this ability within us to do that. And so that doctrine that would, would say that once you're saved, you're always going to be saved... It's simply not true. We serve a God who is fair. God is being accused here of being unfair, and He is making the case for Himself being very fair. He says, if you are righteous and you choose to have a relationship with Me, I will count you as one who is just, and you shall live spiritually. And if you choose to go against Me, and you choose to be an idolater, and you choose to have no compassion and no concern, and you don't want a relationship with Me... I'll let you make that choice. It breaks my heart, God says, but I'll let you make the choice. It's within you. That's what we find going on here. So we continue through this context, and God says, let's just really ask the question, who's being fair? Let me ask you, and he's speaking to his people here, you see God's ways versus the ways of Israel. He says, let's just ask ourselves, who really is being fair? And so we continue on in verse number 25. To his people, he says, yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair, and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. That is, that he's separated from God. Again, verse 27 When a wicked man turns away from his wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgressions which he committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? To this point, God has laid out his case very simply, hasn't he? You can be righteous, you can be wicked. You can be wicked and change your mind to be righteous. You can be righteous and change your mind to be wicked. And where you, where you find yourself, he says, and when you die, that's where you're going to find yourself. As one who is either righteous and in a right relationship with God, God says, I will declare you just and you shall live spiritually. If you choose the wicked route, and that's where you die, because of your transgressions which you have committed, God says, you're going to be lost. We're not going to have a relationship for eternity, you see. We're going to be separated from each other for all time. Isn't that not fair? God says, doesn't that seem fair to you? That I have left you the ability to make that choice? Doesn't it seem fair? that I am not going to to look ahead of you, that I'm not going to say, well, how was your father? Was he a good man? Was he righteous? Or was he wicked? I'm not going to look to your father and say, well, I'm going to judge you based on your father. So that wouldn't be fair. I'm not going to do that. But you know what these Jews wanted? These Jews wanted God to save them simply because they were Jews. 
I want you to save me because, you know, we're Jews. I know that I'm an idolater. I know that I'm going against you. I know that I've committed iniquity. I know that I've, I've sinned. But God, I don't think you're being fair. Have you forgotten? I'm a Jew. We're in this relationship, right? And God says, no. I'm not going to judge you based on who your father is and how they were. I'm going to judge you based on what you choose to do. And so we see God's ways. God says, I provided you free will, and I'm going to judge you based on what you do as individuals. And God says to Israel, see what you're doing. You're not wanting to take any of the blame. You're not wanting to look in the mirror. You're not wanting to examine your own life individually. You're not wanting to see whether you've been righteous or wicked. You're simply wanting me to save you because you think you've deserved it. And he says, nah. Mm -mm. No, that's not fair. Your ways are not fair. You see, uh, what they're doing is they're telling God, you know, you need to go ahead and, and take care of this. God, what you're done, remember we talked about that proverb back up in verse number 2 as we started this chapter. He, they said the proverb that was going around was that the fathers had eaten the sour grapes, but it was the sons, it was the children whose teeth were set on edge. And so it was our fathers who sinned, but we are bearing the consequences of their sin. Can I take a quick time out? Is it not true that we can bear consequences for someone else's action? Very simply put, yes, you know that's true. You know that you and I, none of us were present in the Garden of Eden. None of us were there. None of us heard the command that was given to God. There were two people who were present. And you know that they chose to go against God and they both chose to eat of that tree that God had told them not to eat from. We didn't commit that sin. I didn't eat of that fruit. You didn't eat of that fruit. Do we bear the consequences of those actions? Yes. Does God hold their actions against us? No. He's going to judge us as individuals. We can make choices, and the consequences of those choices can continue on for generations. That's not what we're talking about. He says, I'm, I'm judging you based on what you choose to do in life. So what had they done? Were they deserving of the, the, the place where they found themselves? Had they done anything wrong, or was it all on their fathers? I want you to go back to chapter 2 for just a minute. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 2. This is where God is talking to Ezekiel the prophet. And he says here in chapter 2 in verse number 1, Son of man, he said to me, stand on your feet. I'm going to speak to you. And the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. What are they saying over in 18? They're saying, it's not our fault, it's our father's fault. Ezekiel, these children are wicked. These children are going against me. And so he says, 
They are wicked. It is their fault. It's not only their fault. It, their fathers were sinful too. But he said, they have gone against me. And so God says, you're the ones who are not being fair. You are wicked. You are going against me. And you're asking me to declare you to be righteous. And God said, I'm not going to do it. It's not fair. That's what we need to understand. And so God makes his case and he says, I want you to know that I am being fair and you are asking me to be unfair. Your ways are not fair. And so we've reached our conclusion. In verse number 30, God says to his people, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. I love his conclusion. These are people who are questioning whether or not God is fair. These are his own people who are going against him, who are making these false accusations against him. And yet, when we go through and God has laid out his case for his being fair and what is fair, when he gets to the very end, he says, you know that your way is not fair. You know, God says, that I am the one who is striving to be fair. But I'm not going to strike you for this. My desire for you is much greater than that. My desire for you is for you to turn and live. I want you, he says, number one, to get a new heart and a new spirit. Again, I'm not going to take very much longer, much more of your time, but I want you to go back to chapter 3. And I want you to read this verse with me in verse number 7. God has asked the prophet to eat his words. I want you to take these words in, and I want you to be able to tell my people what you've taken in. And he says, I want you to know something about my people. In chapter 3 and verse 7, the house of Israel will not listen to you, God says to Ezekiel, because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and what? Hard-hearted. They are hard-hearted. Ezekiel, I want you to know I'm sending you to my people because I love my people. I want to give them an opportunity to turn things around. But I want you to know, Ezekiel, they're not all going to listen to you because they don't want to listen to me. They are hard-hearted. And so what God begs his people over here in chapter 18 to do is to get a new heart. I need you to soften it up. I need you to pay attention to what I'm telling you to do. I need you to know that my desire is for you to live. I want you to know that my desire is not for you to be lost. I want you to get this turned around. You see, I want you to develop within yourself this new heart, one that has a firm resolve to be faithful and obedient to me. That's what God is asking them to do. I'm giving you an opportunity to turn this thing around, an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to turn away from wickedness and to strive to be righteous. God says, I want you to have a new heart, a new spirit. Soften yourself Listen to me. Hear me. I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to give you an opportunity. He's begging for his people to have this kind of attitude. And how he continues to beg 
for people today to have this heart within them. Will you listen to me? God says, I want you to hear what I'm doing. I want you to hear the compassion that I have. I want you to understand the desire that I have for you to be saved. I want you to understand that I I need you and I want nothing more than for you to turn away from idolatry. I want you to turn away from anything that you're putting before me in your life. I, I want you to have care and compassion. I want you to be saved. So will you turn? I want you to have a new heart. I want you to have a new spirit. I want you to turn and I want you to live. That's my desire, God says. I hear too many people today blame God for all of the issues they have in their life. They blame God for all of their struggles. And they blame God for their hardships. Life brings with it hardships, issues, struggles, and difficult times. And there's no denying it. God says, what I've done is I provided a way for you to live. I provided a way for you to live beyond this life. And the promise that I'm making to you is that if you will turn around, if you will turn away from going against me, and you will turn toward me, and you will live with me, I can provide you with eternal life. I think it's interesting And I think it's necessary for us to say that God is speaking here in Ezekiel chapter 18, 25, I mean, uh, hundreds of years before Jesus is ever going to come. And yet, Ezekiel chapter 18 drips with the blood of Christ. Because what you and I know is that there is no one who is able to be declared by God to be just without the blood of Christ. God is anticipating the blood of Christ in Ezekiel chapter 18. He knows that it is only through the blood of Christ that one can be declared truly righteous who is is sinned. He knows that it's only because of the blood of Jesus that he has any opportunity at all to declare one just and provide them with the ability to live eternally with him. He's anticipating Jesus and his sacrifice. Remember this morning we went to Philippians chapter 2. And we looked at the relationship that God is able to provide only because Jesus left heaven and went to the cross. And then we see the responsibility that we all have in Philippians 2 and verse 12 then to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. This chapter anticipates the coming of Jesus. And God says, my desire for you is to turn from wickedness, that is, to turn from that which is against God, to turn to righteousness, that which is for God and doing God's will, I want you to turn and do that. And I want you to live with me forever. But God says, I'm going to let you decide. I'm not at all happy with the death of the wicked, but I want you to decide. And so tonight, I conclude with the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Those familiar words of Paul say, Therefore, we make it our aim whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. You see, to be righteous. We make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, 
whether good or bad. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We have an opportunity, if we're doing things that are bad, to change our ways and to do that which is good in the eyes of God. You also have the opportunity in your life, and you need to know this, to go the other direction. To go from being good and being righteous and striving to be faithful to God and obedient to Him in all things, you have the opportunity over the course of your life to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore, and to revert to wickedness. You have the opportunity to do that. But you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day, and so am I. And God knows. God knows. He's going to be fair. Tonight, where do you find yourself? You see, once you're lost, you don't always have to be lost. You have an opportunity to be saved. You have an opportunity because of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. You have the opportunity to turn and go the other direction and to be found, because of the blood of Christ, righteous in the eyes of God. And tonight, if you're not a Christian, if you're one who finds yourself in that lost condition, then won't you please change your ways? Won't you please turn and live. That's the desire of God for you tonight. And that's our desire for you tonight. The Lord's invitation is extended to you, and if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, then please do. Tonight, if you've not obeyed His plan, then won't you tonight, believing Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, be willing to repent of sin in your life, to confess your faith in Christ as the Son of God, and to be immersed in the waters of baptism to have your sins washed away. You can be found washed in the blood of Christ and declared by God to be righteous, saved. Tonight, it is not true that once you are saved, you're always going to be saved no matter what. And tonight, if you have changed your ways and you have gone back into the life of sin, or you have something amiss in your life, and you need to respond in a public way, then please let us help you any way that we can. If we can pray with you tonight, if we can help you uh, in any way, if, if you've got something amiss in your life, if you have an issue that needs to be addressed tonight in a public way, the Lord's invitation is extended. If we can help you in any way tonight, will you please come to the Lord? His invitation is extended. Come now, while together we stand. and watch.